This message is brought to you by House on the Rock Fellowship. We are a church that serves and cares for the Miami Valley region in Ohio. Before you continue, make sure to access the notes from our download section of our message page and have your Bible ready. Thank you for being our guest. Do you not know? Your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you. Whom you have from God, you're not your own. You were bought with a price. Glorify God in your body. Or do you not know your body's a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You're not your own. You were bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. Or do you not know? Your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you. Whom you have from God. You're not your own, Paul. You were bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. A temple. The temple. The temple is a center of worship, a center of prayer, of praise, sacrifice. A temple is, is a something other, a something different. It's the, the connection between the divinity and the humanity. It's, it's almost but not quite a common ground where the two can meet. Where the divinity says, you can find me here. A temple. A temple. He makes himself known. But also, where the humanity, the earthly, can step into his living room, if you will. Find him. Sing to him. Pray to him. Sacrifice to him. Meet with him. A temple is, Paul, the Holy Spirit within you. Right in the center of the temple is the brazen altar, a, a square structure, a giant fireplace, if you will, burning hot and bright. It's the place where sacrifice is made, a holy worship rising up the smoke, the incense. To step into the temple, you are grabbed by, grabbed by its presence. Flames rising higher and higher, fueled around the clock, burning around the clock. It's holy. It is hot. It is bright. A temple. Paul, within you. Holy zeal. But Paul, your fire is going out. 
In John chapter 2, verses 14 through 17. John chapter 2, 14 through 17. It says this. Paul. In the temple, he, Jesus, found those who were selling oxen, sheep, pigeons, money changers sitting there making a whip of cords. He drove them all out of the temple with the sheep and the oxen. He poured out the coins of the money changers, overturned their tables. He told those who sold pigeons, take these things away. We'll make my father's house a house of trade. Trade. Supposed to be a temple has become a marketplace. Supposed to be a temple has become an emporium. Supposed to be a temple has become a trade center where you've exchanged things, Paul. What was supposed to be given to fueling the fire of holiness and fueling the fire of worship, Paul, you took that and you exchanged it, Paul. You've traded it for other things, Paul. You've traded it for comfort. Paul, you like to be comfortable, don't you? Yeah, <laughs> I think we're all kind of addicted to comfort, aren't we? Paul, instead of fueling the holy fire of zeal and worship, Paul, you've traded it. You've traded it for distractions. Paul, why are you so easily distracted? Distracted by work schedules and distracted by kids' schedules and distracted by your own personal schedules and distracted, 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 distracted. Paul, why are you so easily distracted? But Paul, because you're so easily distracted, you didn't tend the fire, Paul. You didn't tend the flame of my presence. And Paul, what happens when you don't tend to that flame? When you don't feed that flame? When you let it get quenched and you let it get choked? Let's ask an honest question though. I mean, surely we all don't have to be crazy holy rollers, right? I mean, surely, I mean, it's just not my personality. I'm not one to start shaking a tambourine and marching up down the aisle. That's not for everybody, right? It's not, is it, is it really sinful to not be zealous? Is it really sinful to not be on fire for God? I mean, sure, maybe when I was in my 20s. But dude, I'm like 45 now. I got three teenagers, a mortgage, car payments, I got places to be and things to do. Come on. Surely, is it sinful to not be on fire for God? Apostle Paul said this in Romans 12. A little bit of a passage of catch-alls. And a closing of a letter of some 
remainder, remaining comments. Romans chapter 12, he says this in verse 9. Let love be genuine. Big fan, don't like, you know, being fake. Abhor what's evil. Got it? Evil stuff's bad. Hold fast to what is good. I like good stuff. Love one another with brotherly affection. That one's hard. Some people are dumb. I mean, everyone, outdo one another in showing honor. Do not be slothful in zeal, but be fervent in spirit and serve the Lord. Don't be slothful. Don't be lazy in zeal. Don't be lazy in holy passion for God. Don't be lazy in fueling that fire. Don't be lazy in protecting that flame. Don't you be lazy, Paul, in tending to the center of that temple, which ought burn bright with grace and love and holiness. Temple, Paul. You've traded. And the exchange wasn't good. You didn't come out on top. The exchange rates were high. Paul and you have been found wanting. You've been found with less. And then in walks Jesus. He doesn't knock. He doesn't wait till I'm dressed. He doesn't ring the doorbell. He just marches right in like he owns the place. Like he has rights to. Like it's his house. I barely have time to get the cupboards of the naughties closed and get my robe on and get stuff underneath the couch before he can see it. And he just stands there in this raging, holy, roaring glory. He looks and he looks and he looks. And I almost don't even want to look upon him as he looks upon me. See, I like party Jesus. Who doesn't like party Jesus? You know, party Jesus. The Jesus that comes to your wedding. Jesus that turns the water into wine. Jesus that turns up the music and is dancing and is singing and pulls out a keg. I like party Jesus. That's my Jesus. There's, there's dancing with that Jesus. There's singing with that Jesus. That's a good Jesus. I like it when that Jesus shows up. That's a good time. And if that's the only Jesus that I like and know, I will not be able to handle what he does next. The Bible gives me a very rich, robust portrait of Jesus. And yes, while he does sing at the wedding... He will stand in the temple and scream. Jesus walked up to one of his best friends and called him a devil. Satan, get behind me, he said to Peter. 
ouch. That's not party Jesus. Called out the political leader of the time, Herod. Dude, talk about, you know, party lines. Called Herod a fox. And you're like, not like, fox? Like, you're such a cute little fox, aren't you? You're such a cute little fox. No, I call someone a fox. You manipulating, backstabbing, conniving, weaseling, lying little thief to call someone a fox. That was Jesus. Called the Pharisees whitewashed sepulchers, tombs, gravestones where you go and you take some lime and you polish it up so it's nice and clean on the outside. But on the inside, you crack the door and you're like, oh my goodness, it smells like death in here. That's, that's not party Jesus. The Jesus who looks at his disciples and say, are you guys kidding me? Seriously, you're not paying attention to a word I say. Have you forgotten anything? John, the revelator who wrote the, wrote the book of Revelation, had a, a very rich, thick presentation of Jesus. This is how he starts the vision. This is what he beholds as he sees. John speaking in John chapter 1. John chapter 1 verse 12. I turned to see a voice that was speaking to me on turning, I saw seven golden lampstands and in the midst of the lampstands, one like a son of man clothed with a long robe with a golden sash around his chest. The hairs of his head were white like white wool, like snow. His eyes were like a flame on fire and his feet burnished bronze, refined in a furnace. And his voice was like the roar of many waters. And in his right hand, he held seven stars. And from his mouth came a sharp two-edged sword. And his face was like the sun shining in full strength. And when I saw him, I fell at his feet, though dead. That's, that's how John saw Jesus ablaze, a bright, an altar unto himself. He goes on to describe him as the lion that's conquered. He goes on to present him as the conquering victor, the general with the army at his command. But no, no, I like party Jesus better. Jesus that holds soft kittens and rides unicorns and sprinkles rainbows wherever he goes. That's, that's the Jesus I like. But I must receive what stands before me now. A Jesus that surveys my heart. That sees every corner. That sees every shelf that looks under every couch. He stands. He looks. It says in the temple, he found those who were selling money changers sitting. He drove them. He poured out. He overturned. He told Take these things away. 
And the disciples remembered that it was written, zeal for your house has consumed me. It says that he does four things in the temple of my soul. The first thing that he does is he drives out. He drives things out. It's the word to expel or exorcise like you are treating a demon and not with kid gloves. He says there are things, Paul, that have come to live in your house, our house, and I will drive them out. You have let, Paul, things come to roost and sit on the couch and pull up the Lay's bag of chips and turn on the TV and kick off their shoes and they don't belong. Paul, these things must go. I don't know how they got there. They just got there. I turned around and they were there. I don't bother them. They don't bother me. They don't belong, Paul. They just don't belong here. He drives them out. Like you drive oxen. You're driving sheep. You're driving demons. Sure. If I'm being honest, I have to believe that some of the things in my soul demonic. No wonder the prayer says, deliver us from evil. They're more than just bad habits. They're more than just white lies. These are things that only the king of all kings, the Lord of all lords can take away. I can't get them out. He has driven things from my soul. Other things he pours out, pours out, We all have a a closet, a cabinetry, if you will, behind which we all have the same vats, the same jars, the same containers, the same labels, your labels, your your, your vats are maybe a little bit different sizes than mine. The old church used to call them things like vanity, vices, if you will. You know, vanity. I call that one the selfie sin. Look at me. See me. Like my outfit, filter. That one, if I'm being honest, Jesus, that one's not really as big as maybe some other people's. I don't look in the mirror because it looks back. (laughs) Some other people, that might be a bigger one than vanity. Yes, yeah. Pulls down another one, envy. Envy. Envy is getting bitter because others have better. That's not really a big one for me. Other people might, so that one's, it's not that it's empty, but it's not hard to pour that one out. Wrath. Wrath. Some people, I don't, not, man, I'll get angry. If we're being honest, Jesus, search my heart, know me. I'm not one to be wrathful. You're right. Greed. Greed's common in our culture. Sloth. Sloth. That means not doing what love demands of you. But there's a couple, uh, there's a couple in there that 
I was hoping maybe we didn't have to talk about. And like he owns the place, he just walks over and he. I don't, I don't know when it started. Gluttony. I know it's there. A dark passenger. Maybe it's because of my dad, my grandparents, I don't know, culture. But I have drank much from that poison. And it has plagued me most of my life. I'm addicted to not being in pain. I'm addicted to being comfortable. And sugar makes me feel good. Food makes me feel good. And I gotta eat. Yes, Paul, you have to eat. You don't need a dozen Krispy Kremes. You don't need three Big Macs. You don't need four pizzas. You need to eat. This isn't eating, Paul. This quenches the fire of your soul and it chokes out the holiness that should burn bright for me. I didn't put it there. I didn't ask who put it there. Growing up in a house of a diabetic patriarch meant that there was no fun food to eat. If you wanted cereal, it was cornflakes, it was Rice Krispies, and it was Cheerios. Those were the three, and you were thankful to get them. Cornflakes, Rice Krispies, and Cheerios. You could walk up and down the aisle of the celery, of celery, of the cereal section. Celery, yeah. And here's this entire symphony of cereal. There's not Rice Krispies, it's Cocoa Krispies. And, 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 Fruity pebbles. Not f- corn flakes, they're frosted flakes. I remember stealing out my backyard and going down the back hill that would bring me up along the bridge so I could cross the creek and get to the grocery store so that my mom and dad couldn't see me running out with a dollar in my pocket so I could cut into the deli and buy a, a, a thing of three cream-filled donuts. Stuffing my face underneath the bridge. I would go down before I delivered newspapers or collected newspapers and I would, I would buy not one, not two, I would buy six Three Musketeers. Six Three Musketeers. And I would stuff my face with them. And because I had the body of a healthy varsity teenager and the metabolism that went with it, I had no idea how I was fortifying the poison of my soul that would later come back and destroy me in my 30s. like poison poured upon the flame of the altar. But that's not the only one. And this one's just as big. Verse 
and they often will go together. If you struggle with gluttony, there's a very good chance that you also struggle with lust. They're both sins of the body. A stronghold of the flesh. And I remember like it was yesterday when my best friend sat me down in his bedroom and showed me his older brother's playboy and walked me through model after model, page after page. And to this day, just because of the way my brain is wired, I could pull out the file cabinet that has 1989 in it and I could open it up and I could take you to that file and I could walk you through every single image today. And every image since. And he pours it out. He pours it out. Tables, he turns over. He turns up tables. See, the temple is to be a place of worship. There's very specific prescribed furniture. Things only belong here. Specific things only belong here. And it's so easy to let outside things to the inside things. And it clogs so that now you're tripping over and getting caught up by and distracted by. And instead of worship, we're choosing this. And instead of prayer, we're choosing that. Instead of going to the place of confession, we're going to the place of comfort and we're tripping and we're falling and we're all over because we've let other tables in and other chairs in. And he takes his tables and he tosses them and he tosses them and he tosses them. And then drives out, pours out, turns out, but then he calls out. He calls me out. He says to those selling pigeons, take these away. Well, I kind of liked it better when he did all the cleaning. <laughs> kind of liked it better when he did all the work. The victim card is so easy to play. Oh, it's dad's fault. Oh, it's mom's fault. Oh, it's culture's fault. Jesus, is, you, this needs, this needs, you need to take this out of here. It doesn't belong in here. Take this away. He wants me to participate in the restoration of my own soul. He expects me to get bloody and sweaty and dirty working out my salvation. He calls me to fast. He calls me to study. He calls me to confess. He calls me to do some of the lifting. Not all the lifting. I can't deal with most of it. But there are things he says, Paul, this needs to go. I don't want to do it. Mean Jesus. And by the time I get one moved, I turn around and guess what? There's another one. So I've got to mean Jesus. And I, by the time I turn around, guess what? There's another one. 
He just keeps opening cabinets and opening drawers and pulling things down. This one's heavier. I can't lift this one. You're going to have to lift this one. I can't do this one. And then he says, you need to ask for help. If I ask for help, then they'll know it's here. If, they ask for, if I ask for help, then they'll know what's on the inside. If I, if I ask for help, they'll see. You need to ask for help. Adam, will you help me, please? Thank you. Some things he, he drives out. Some things he pours out. Some things he turns out. And sometimes he calls me out. He does these things at the time of Passover, it says. A holy high day. When every family was working through the home to remove all the leaven from it. The, the symbol of sin. The symbol of death and slavery and... Every home was expected to work through, to cleanse the house. Sweeping, sweeping, sweeping. Every nook, every corner, every cabinet. And so how, how does he do it to me? And in the temple, he found those who were selling. And he made a whip of cords. Maybe he saw it over in the corner. Maybe he pulled it from a basket. A whip of cords, a lash of cords, things that you can whip with. And as I think on it in my life, in my experience, in my journey, I haven't been following Jesus long, 40 years. I have a ways to go. I think of three cords in my life that he has used to cleanse my soul from the evil within. And the first one is the word. He uses the word of God to shape me, to cut me, to cleanse me, to heal me, to restore me, to put the pieces back together again. For the word of God is sharper than any two-edged sword. 
I have been poked and prodded and cut many a times by his word. <laughs> but also in such a holy, hurtful, righteous Way I, I think of the, the disciples on the road to Emmaus and how Jesus had confronted them and shared the scriptures of himself. And they said, oh, how our hearts, did they not burn within us? I get all so wearied and afraid for the Christian who will not present themselves to the word of God to be shaped, to be made, to be moved. One of the chords that he uses is God's word. Another chord that he uses, he uses my brother. He uses my sister. Faithful are the wounds of a friend. Many are the kisses of an enemy. It says in Proverbs. Galatians chapter 6, verse 1. Those of you who are spiritual, restore one another with gentleness. If he is caught in a sin, restore him. I can think of time and time and time again. I was a junior in high school. I was Lucas's age. A spiritual mentor in my life and said, hey, let's get together for breakfast. Yes, I like breakfast. Breakfast is good. Let's go to Perkins. I love Perkins. We're ordering. Your mom and dad asked me to talk to you about something. Your relationship with that girl needs to stop. He needs to stop. Conversations with RAs and college calling me out. In love. Didn't feel like it at the time. Young pastor, 21, 22, sitting down across the table from my... Uh, my boss, Paul, when you're out of town, we had an elder search your computer. We need to talk about some things. Paul, we love you. You're going to start counseling next week. Oh, oh it hurts. Oh, it hurt. Oh, it hurt. But one of the, the chords that Jesus uses is, is my brother, Adam, would you hold that? Thank you. There's a third one, but I don't want to talk about that one yet because I don't, I don't want you to have to feel that one. Too many do. You see, in this moment, I have to decide what I think about suffering, what I think about pain. I need to understand clearly the place of suffering and pain in my restoration. Because the block of marble will feel the artist's chisel and it will hurt. It will hurt. But if I have a party Jesus in my mind, 
than when the word pokes or pastor pokes or a brother confronts. Bunch of legalistic, judgmental Jesus rollers. When I should turn into it and receive it. When I should be made by it and shaped by it. But there's a third one, isn't there? Into one cord he gives to the word, into one cord he gives to my brother. But when those cords won't work, he gives a cord to the world. And he closes the doors and he steps away. And I don't know about you. I much rather see the cord held in Jesus' hands than see the cord held in the devil's hands. I much rather feel the poke from a brother than the lash from my enemy. But I have scars from both. I have scars from both. You see, I'm looking at these vats of poison. Oh, how I love to drink from them. They are so yummy and so delicious and they make me feel so comfortable. But Jesus sees those vats reflected across time. He sees what's on the other side of. You ever seen those before and after pictures of a meth addict? I walked in relationship with a brother in Christ. We prayed together, went to church together, we sang together, we served together. And at a point in his life, he came up to me and he said he wanted to do something else. And I said, please don't. Please don't. Please don't go down that path. I'm begging you. You don't know where it goes. But he knew what was best for him. I saw him about two years after that. And I walked right by him in the store. I didn't recognize him. He had been destroyed by sin. He was all hollowed out. His voice didn't even sound the same. His eyes didn't even look the same. I much rather give this to my brother than feel the weight of the world. Paul calls it turning them over to Satan. 1 Corinthians chapter 5. That they would be restored. That they would be healed. In Revelation chapter 3, Jesus sends a letter to a church in the town of Laodicea. Would you like to get a letter from Jesus? You're like, not today. <laughs> you get a letter from Jesus? What would be in it? What would he write? What would he see? What would he, what would he write down? To the church in Laodicea, Jesus wrote these words to this church, fellowship. Probably not big as ours. Not as big as ours. Maybe 20 people, 25, 30 people. 
This is what he had to say to them. I know your works. Jesus knows what we've been doing. He says, you're neither cold nor hot. Would that you were either cold nor hot. Because you're lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I spit you out of my mouth. For you say, I'm rich, I have prospered, I need nothing, not realizing that you're wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. I counsel you, buy from me gold refined by fire so that you may be rich, white garments, so that you may clothe yourself and the shame of your nakedness would not be seen. Salve to anoint your eyes so that you may see. To those whom I love, I reprove and discipline. So be zealous and repent. Be zealous and repent. Be zealous, burn with a holy fire, burn bright, burn warm, burn, repent, turn. And so I started to think about what might that look like? And an idea that I have comes right out of that passage where he says, this is my father's house. What if I started to see and understand that this isn't mine, but this is my father's house. My father dwells here. My father lives here. And I don't know about you, but there were things I would do as a teenager outside the house that I would definitely not do in my father's house. There were a lot of things I would do outside when dad wasn't looking. But I tell you what, And oh, there were so many times with the welts of the world upon my back, I just needed to rush home and know that my dad was there. And oh, how he would receive me. Oh, how he would love me. And oh, how he would welcome me. What if, what if I started to see, not you, you do you. You worry about you, I worry about me. I don't, I've got so much in my cabinet, I don't have time to judge your junk. What if I started to see this as my father's house? Where he is. Oh. I'd clean up. <laughs> I'd move some things around. I wouldn't, I wouldn't wait for my big brother to tell me. I wouldn't wait for Jesus. I'd be like, this, I'm, this, yeah, this is, yeah, let me get this out. And this is, yeah, my bad. I need help with this one. Will you help me with this one, please? And I, we, this has got to go. Father, Father, I'm so glad that you're here. I'm so glad that you're here. Father, this is your house. This is your house. What if when I showed up on Sunday morning, I walked in remembering oh, my father's house. This is my father's house. And what if when the pain of discipline comes, maybe I'm opening the word and maybe I'm seeing something or maybe a, a pastor says something and it confronts me and it, it hurts. And that's not party Jesus. That's ouchie Jesus. And but what if instead of turning the marble away, what if I turned into it? 
What if I turned into it? What if I became thankful for it? Knowing that I'm not called to comfort and happiness. I'm called to Christ-likeness and holiness. What if I turned into it? Knowing that as, as these things that quench the fire and choke the fire are pulled away, that the holy flame would be restored again to my soul and I would burn bright. What if I turned into it? What if I learned to be thankful? What if I learned to expect it? What if I showed up to life group or I showed up to ministry or showed up to Sunday morning expecting to get my toes stepped on? I've seen me dance. I need all the help I can get. What if? What if? And then, wearied, because following Jesus is hard. Sore. Because it's a race. But loved. He says, come, let's eat. Come, let's eat. Before Adam comes to prepare us for the table, I just want a chance to pray over you. Thank you for your patience with me as Jesus and I worked some things out this morning. Oh, King of heaven, the comforter, the spirit of truth, fills all things is everywhere. Treasury of all blessing, giver of life, abide in us in this moment. Dwell richly and brightly in us this moment. There are things that have quenched my soul, have, have choked out my soul. Would you rescue it please? For my brothers who are crying out for the same this morning. My sisters who are crying out for the same this morning. Would you, would you do the same for them? We receive it. We're thankful for it. Why shouldn't we receive it? It is only ever for our good. You are not tame. But you are good. As my brothers and sisters, as we gather at this table, Lord Jesus... May your Holy Spirit rest here upon the elements in such a grace-filled way. I confess, I have sinned against you in thought, in word, in deed. By what I've done and what I've left undone. I've not loved you with my whole heart. I've not loved my neighbor as myself. And I am truly sorry. I humbly repent. For the sake of your son, Jesus Christ, have mercy on me and forgive me that I might delight in your will and walk in your will to the glory of your name. Amen. Thank you for sharing your time with us, and we'd love for the journey to continue. 
If you're a guest, would you consider reaching out to us? We would love to come alongside and encourage you in any way that we can. If you're someone who's joined us today and you are desperately reaching to find hope wherever you can, again, Jesus came that we would find hope. You can find hope today. If you want to send us a short note, a member of our hope team would reach out quickly, promptly, to come alongside and see what we can do to encourage you in whatever storm you might find yourself in. That's why Jesus came, and that's why we're here. Jesus said there's two ways to live your life, and a wise man, a wise woman, builds their life on Jesus' instructions. God bless.